Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, we'll be delivering you the next 20 minutes or so our thoughts on matters in and around the hotel and operational real estate space. Um, my name is Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined on the call by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. I'm going to start this week by looking at uh, an allied operational real estate sector, the flexible workspace uh, niche. Um, we've had some numbers recently from um, IWG, who operate Regis and several other uh, flexible working brands, and also from WeWork, the uh, exciting upstart that uh, has been delighting uh, all, all of us with its shenanigans over the recent years and is now still battling to um, find its way to deliver actually some some profit. Um, so these are, these are businesses where we've been led to believe that flexible working is the new way out of the pandemic and so these businesses ought to be doing rather well. Uh, they still though appear to be struggling with um, uh, finding the momentum and getting those deals signed up such that their occupancy is, is good enough to start generating profits once more. Uh, one of the other issues they have got is that they uh, have been burning a lot of cash uh, investing and they seem to be very much moving towards a hotel model of franchising to take them forward in uh, due course. So Chris, I was going to ask you, have you seen the Apple TV series We Crashed? No, I have not. No, it's not bad. I mean, it's one of these ones where they've got about six episodes. They could have probably done it as an extended feature or something. But right. um, it is quite a fun thing for anybody involved in business to, to giggle at, actually, in terms of the madness um, of the whole tech investment and the venture capital world. Um but of course, that is the story of Adam Neumann and uh, the creation of WeWork. Um, I think there's a few things to say about hotels and flex office, and most of the listeners to this podcast are obviously interested in that in that connection. And um, I think there was a lot of hype during the lockdown periods. Um, oh, hotels can transform themselves into be offices. Well, not so much. I I, I, I just don't see that happening. Um, and I think this whole uh, shall we say this? Uh, so people got rather excited about the possibility of um you know being a substitute office well i just don't see that i think you've got to be able to do work in your in your room and there isn't a need you know to an extent where you could actually have some sort of co-worky thing going off in the foyer and providing some sort of facilities there yeah i get all that but it, it's it's a very 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 minor part of the overall business and the principal business of hotels is going to remain um looking after people um, overnight, giving them a good bed, a good shower, a sound sleep, and providing them with some decent food and drink. And that that hasn't changed in any way, shape or form with the advent of the flex working piece. What has changed, I think, from a hotelier perspective is how they ought to be marketing. So it used to be really that, um, and I think it's actually more exciting now in that there's more opportunity to market the traditional bits of what a hotel company does don't don't worry about the the office bits or pseudo office bits um because i think with the sort of extended commuting and commuting we're seeing um you've got the need for companies to bring people together 
periodically um, and these people are not going to have anywhere to stay and they will need somewhere to stay hmm, how about a hotel um, they don't need a, an office they don't need a desk they'll, they'll have an office um, there might be a need to provide a party in the evening a, a good lunch um you know maybe uh, I'll, I'll have a breakout meeting room that kind of stuff yeah but hotels are already doing that and i think this is only going to increase the demand for that so this is actually a very good strong demand generator and the excitement that's here you know in this flex office piece with you talk about the two of the biggest uh, listed players here which is WeWork and IWG and i think they they clearly they are you know still driving forward despite you know the we crashed piece it's still there it's got 917,000 physical desks um, across the US across much of Europe particularly London um, Paris and the major urban uh, centers um, so you know this is a very exciting thing which I think is going to help drive demand for uh, business travel um, particularly in the big urban spaces um, so um, I, I'm going to give a pun warning to any mm -hmm. listeners of the podcast here chris because um this is uh, there's a few dreadful puns in my copy this week um and um you know so we, we saw uh, you know quite early on how Accor because they've got a 50% investment in Wojo they were quite early in this Accor's CEO Sebastian Bazam was sort of at the forefront of understanding the opportunity that was being created um by this flex office shift and uh, the pun is mm -hmm. it's less about hotels becoming Wojo and more about them finding their marketing mojo lovely see what you did that's there that's good wasn't yeah, it that's yeah. good yeah. okay well let's move on now to look at um, what's going on in the service department sector um, where the, the sector's had pretty good pandemic by and large uh, compared to hotels um, with a decent uh, amount of occupancy and that occupancy looks to have improved again as we come out of the pandemic um, the big players are positioning themselves for further growth um, particularly recently uh, the Ascot and Fraser's making uh, corporate moves uh, to grow their portfolio or plan to grow their portfolio. Um, the other interesting recent activity in the sector has been from uh, the, the newcomer Sonda which uh, uh, listed itself via a SPAC in, in the US um, and uh, has finally it seemed uh, really woken up and worked out that it needs to be delivering some profit. It can't s reside as anymore as a sort of simply a tech stock that's going to make money one day. It actually needs to start looking like it's got some, uh, some, some profit out of its existing and already actually quite high occupancy levels. So um, contrasting fortunes for um, uh, providers in the uh, uh, service department space yeah and um funnily enough um i looked again at we work right. in my commentary on this um because um what's happened is adam neumann got booted off uh we work and more sort of sensible non-founder like uh, management was were brought in um but he's gone off um to create a new outfit um very similar well in the same sort of field as the one he was doing immediately prior to we work which was in uh, residential um and this new thing is called flow um and it's got backed by a um storied 
um, venture capitalists from the tech world, Andreessen Horowitz, um, and they've put, written their biggest ever check to him. So despite all of the calamities that uh, befell um, Neumann, um, he's, as it were, been fast to fail, and they like the look of him and the idea, so they've given him their biggest ever check, 350 million US dollars. Um, and he has been quietly, this is Norman, quietly um, building up a residential portfolio said to be worth something around the US $1 billion mark. Um, and it's something like 4,000 apartments around the world. Um, and he's going to use this as the seedbed for flow. Now, I think why this fits into what we're talking about with service departments is the the blurring of lines between residential and service departments and um, you know many service departments are, are run on uh, residential planning um, um, not entirely legit but um, that that has been the reality I mean m some of the bigger players that is not the case so if you look at somebody um, you know uh, Adagio etc the biggest in Europe they're, they're very much they've got the planning for them but you know we have historically seen others who haven't had the planning for for their portfolio and have simply signed leases which say well look if the plan has come for you um, the lease is void um, 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 but but the, so that gives a clear indication of just how close these two sectors are and i think flow if anything is only going to create that now the thing flow is focused on as much as we can tell because it um <laughs> it is still very west coast um us um in terms of its hype and its uh, approach um um so there's lots of um sort of yoga friendly stuff within the, <laughs> on the website but it, uh, um, w where it does seem to be focused is on the uh, rent to own model um, and what's interesting here we've already got some serious private equity players not just the VC types so the distinction between venture capital and private equity I think is quite important here with private equity being a, um, a, a lot more on the cautious side and a lot less willing to back you know take a view that one in ten is going to be a super hit that pays for the nine other misses um, private equity tends to go for a model which is where everything should be a reasonable success and coming in is Blackstone and through their REITs their um, unlisted REIT they've spent six billion US dollars this is back in June 2021 um, buying this uh, rent to own model um, company um, called Home Partners of America. So Home Partners of America have got about 17,000 homes across the US. So it's clearly a big thing and I think it's very much going to be heading towards Europe. I mean Neumann's already said this is a global thing, it's not just the US. So we're going to see that over here in Europe. I think there's going to be, it's going to be very close with um, uh, service departments and it's going to be interesting to see because we've talked previously about how service department players were hoping to get some of that yield compression that's there within residential well maybe just maybe that this will um you know all the fanfare that comes with the figure like uh, adam neumann maybe that will help drive this so i think it's going to be very interesting to watch and certainly won't do the likes of sonder any harm and indeed other people whether that's adagio or eden or any of state city or any of these other uh, um players out there 
Now we've taken a look at what's happening in Asia this week um, by going through several of the uh, uh, regions, hotel groups who have recently delivered results um, to just sort of see how things are recovering. And it, I think the news really is that uh, with the exception of China, all markets are recovering. It's only China that, that is still held back. Um, We've got uh, uh, from Hong Kong and Shanghai hotels, they certainly could see their hotels outside of Greater China doing uh, very, 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 very well. Uh, but uh, certainly an element of frustration in their comments from what's going on still in China, and that's heavily restricting their business. Um, Thailand looks to be taking off once more, um, and uh, uh, minor hotels report uh, much improving business there. And of course, the Thai government's taking a number of steps to help improve and help the uh, tourism sector recover in uh, in this, that country. Uh, but perhaps the most remarkable um, uh, uh, performance is, comes from Indian hotels, who have uh, just had their best quarter ever, and uh, seem to be really firing on all cylinders. Yes, and I just remembered my other pun. Oh, so okay. um, this is this is great linkage here. But um, to jump back to the previous story, um, quickly rewind on your podcast. Um, and <laughs> and the pun is, you know, as Sonder shows, um, it's not just about going with the flow, but you've got to watch the cash flow. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, terrible. Move on. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, move on quickly. Um, so back. Let's head east quickly. Um, so um, I'm heading to India actually, and um, oh. Uh, Puneet Chatwell, which people um, from Europe will know very well um, from his days as uh, Chief Development Officer at uh, Residor, which morphed into Radisson and got bought by the Chinese in the form of Xinjiang. Mm -hmm. um, well, initially HNA, actually, wasn't it? Um, um, before being swallowed up by um, Xinjiang. Um, and after his stint as CDO at uh, Residor, he became CEO at uh, what at the time was Steigenberger, and he turned into Deutsche Hospitality. Um, and that, uh, again, uh, came under the uh, eyes of the Chinese, and the then Wazoo, now called H-World, um, bought it. Um, so he's uh, had two births at uh, companies that were bought by the Chinese. He's now gone off to India. And the connection here, I think, there's, a, there's an interesting um, sort of tension between where China's heading and where India's heading. So India's, if you like, the comer. It's just heading towards becoming the most populous country in the world, taking um, taking over China. Uh, China, of course, has got this quite significant demographic issue going on um, but it's also got a growth issue now as well and China for decades has been the growth leader well India is now assuming that mantle mm -hmm. and the IMF is saying that um, you know look at uh, um, India over the next this year um, they're forecasting growth of 7.4% uh, uh, whereas China 3.3% this year and next year 6.1% against China's 4.6% so I mean who knows where those figures will actually end up but um, I think the gap there I think is the interesting bit to look at and there is quite a significant gap with India now being the um, the growth engine globally I think is the fastest growing of the top 10 global economy so it's a very important 
um, um, market from that perspective. And it's got a very small uh, hotel market at the moment, which uh, Puneet Chatwal, a CEO of Taj Hotels, or IHCL, uh, dominates. Um, and it's quite phenomenal what he's doing at the moment at I IHCL. I don't know what the fairy dust is he's sprinkling, but it's certainly working. So, I mean, his profitability in Q1, now the IHCL Q1 runs from April to June, um, so a Q2 in, in calendar terms. So that Q1 um, was twice as good as the Q1 um, set in, which was the previous record, set in Q1 2019 um, in terms of uh, profitability. So quite outstanding, actually. So if we take what we normally look at in the West as profit before tax, um, it was only three and a half million US dollars. Um, it's now nearly... Oh, nearly 29 million US dollars so <clears throat> still relatively modest but it's clearly you know very much going the right way and in terms of the growth of the the company they're looking to get 300 hotels 100 in the Cortage brand 75 in their their, their sort of upscale um, offerings and 125 in the uh, very interesting ginger um, economy stroke upper um, stroke uh, mid-scale without uh, uh, F&B um, concept um, and now they're looking to hit that 300 number by 2025 so I, th I think this is a really interesting company and one to watch in a very interesting uh, part of the world right now um, so we're gonna we're gonna see a, a, a lot of action here I think and a lot of interest from the global majors as they try and access this market a market which uh, Puneet has, um, you know, done very well in um, securing a, a good lead in. Right now, let's move on to our five star and no star awards this week. Are you starting with none or five, Andrew? Oh, um, I think we should go for no stars, and this is the uh, fragility of the hospitality sector. Um, now, you know, we have an energy crisis. I get that, and I think it's. A, you know a challenging issue and it's a problem but if you you know you need to put it into context um in you know a good uh, statistician would say you need to understand what the denominator is um and within this you know what what how much of turnover um is accounted for by energy costs well according to the christian co and uk hospitality benchmarking survey which came out uh, at the end of july this year utility costs are just 5.1 percent of the average venue um, in terms of the average venues turnover um, payrolls the biggest at 28.3 so if it's 5.1 percent of turnover it seems extraordinary to me that this is going to take out a huge swathe of the hospitality sector as is being claimed at the moment by a whole bunch of pub and uh, breweries um, I, I, and I, I just don't understand how we're we've got a a group of businesses which are so easily knocked over um and you know we're in a period where it's perfectly possible um to very to very radically raise your prices i don't know you know every time i go to the a pub i seem to be paying an extra quid for my beer <laughs> at the moment so but you're still you know, paying it you're still buying it 
yeah yeah, yeah. i am still buying absolutely because um it's it, you know it, it's you know, despite <laughs> how much i go on about it it's not that big a, <laughs> a percentage of my own personal um turnover um so uh, you know uh, yes you know i noticed the, the 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 hike in prices um but it's it's certainly not going to cause bankruptcy um for me um and I, I and i don't see how you know why are we in a situation where we've got such fragile pubs that so many of them are going to fall over you do wonder how viable a business they were in the first place if if a relatively little bump on such a minor area of the business is going to do that and yeah we can see these apocalyptic numbers and there are going to be outliers that do that but ultimately you deal in averages and if you're dealing in something which is five percent of your turnover and yeah maybe double maybe triple we're seeing but that's still 15 percent and golly that's going to be tough you know it's comparatively low margin business but but you can put the prices up to compensate for that as should be happening so i don't get it i don't understand it i don't understand this level of uh I know is hysteria too strong a word for this we're we're going you know um about this whole cost of living thing I, I i it just seems it seems to me everybody thinks the government is the answer to our problems so we've got into this mode um where, where you know fr frankly the inflationary situation we've got is largely caused by the lockdowns where we saw this huge amount of um, government intervention um, which turned us into a quasi-communist state um, and now we've got business people I mean I was listening to the radio this morning and we had a business person there saying we should nationalize the energy utilities and nationalize the banks and I'm thinking oh goodness me well, where, where, where are we going to with this this is just madness um, this this is not going to be the solution and I think we've got a um we, we've got to work our way through this without having this constant crutch of government handout absolutely um so five stars just look a little further ahead yes and be a bit more positive. Uh, yeah um and when this is that yeah and this is the fact that deals despite i mean we we suggested i think uh on maybe it was the last podcast or the podcast before last that um, people have put their pens down um well actually you know no sooner do we say that of course and then, <laughs> and then there's a bunch of deals announced so we've had this we've had uh, uh crimson moving in on uh, a very nice asset uh, near trafalgar square and the other side of trafalgar square we've got a huge investment by premier inn with uh, one of their hubs and you know deals are deals are a flowing still and i think you know i, I think people who who are taking that medium-term view can see this sector being the growth sector it is it's got fantastic secular tailwinds and i would argue it's got good cyclic cyclical tailwinds notwithstanding all this stuff about the energy crisis etc um you know, far more important i would argue is the the challenging position with labor um but um, um that aside um you know i think this is good news and i think we're continuing to see significant uh, levels of investment in the sector and um, by all accounts we're going to see much much more and on that positive note we'll say goodbye for now <laughs>